Welcome to the Sunday message from Hollyview Church in Boring, Oregon. We gather each Sunday morning at 10.30 as a worshiping community of Jesus followers on mission to see God glorified in our lives, our cities, and around the world. At Hollyview, the Bible serves as our foundation and guide for both life and ministry. It tells the story of God and the story of us. We believe the better we know the themes and flow of the biblical story, the better we will be able to find our little place in God's grand storyline. Thank you for joining us. And now here's this week's message from Hollyview Church as Pastor Joel continues his study in the book of Revelation. He's in chapter 22, verses 1 through 5 with the message, What Will We Do There? So I want to start this morning by reading our passage of Scripture. So if you have a Bible, you can open to Revelation. We're going to start in chapter 22. We have two more weeks of this. We've had two weeks and we'll have two more weeks. Revelation 22. And I'd like to start today by reading uh, from there. It'll be the first five verses. Revelation 22, verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruits, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for uh, these last couple days. Thanks for the weather today. Thanks for the good things that you give us. And Lord, there are times when we do, just like Anna was talking about, come alive. We just, we just feel you. And Lord, we long for that day when the brokenness um, is redeemed and healed. We, we long for the day that we are in perfect harmony with you and others. And so, Lord, as we look at your words this morning in the last chapters of the story, that you'd give us a picture and a vision of where that eternal home is going to be. And, Lord, would you draw our hearts? Would you quicken uh, our minds? Would you uh, invite our imaginations even to, to see what that place is going to be like, what we're going to do there? And Lord, I pray that you'd open our eyes so we could see, open our ears so we can hear, and soften our hearts so that this morning we become more like you, more drawn to you, and loved by you, or love you more through this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Over the last two weeks, we've been thinking about our eternal home. We've, we've looked at chapter 21, looking at where it's going to be, knowing that's going to be heaven is coming to earth. We've looked at who is going to be there as our creator and redeemer is going to be there and what that means for us as a renewed, healed people. And today I want to look at what we'll be doing there. It's a great question. What are we going to be doing there for eternity? Well, if eschatology is not for you, if it's confusing or you just don't get eschatology, don't worry, it's not the end of the world. So I've just been waiting for that joke for the whole time. So eschatology means like the, the study of the last things. Uh, so there's lots of maps. Eschatology is, I mean, they, there's so many like 
uh, pictures and cycles and, and timelines of how all this comes together. And, and what I want to do, when you get lost in all that, I want to give you three points before we begin this morning, three points of timelines or references, three segments in eschatology. So there's three things. The first one is that there's this life. And we all understand what this life is because we're living it. It's we're, we're breathing, we're, we're, we're living in relation to other people. This life, that's point one that we know. We're right here on this earth. The, the next point in reference to eschatology is life after death. So when this life ends, we step into life after death. Now, in the Bible, this is actually an intermediary place. It's a place we go and we rest and rejuvenate as we continue our journey. So there's life, then there's life after death, and then there is life after life after death. It's our permanent home. It's the place where God is designed and molded. It's the, it's the place that we've, we've been talking about these last two weeks. So we have life, life after death, life after life after death or this life in a mediary place, and then our permanent home, our eternal home. Well, three stops on the journey. I want to tell you a story uh, this morning that it, I, I've told a number of people, but it, it just, it, for me, it pictures eschatology in a nutshell because it's, it's one, it's an ex experience that I, I went through. And, and the three points of this experience, I often think in terms of relation to eschatology. Uh, when we, our kids were younger, uh, we moved here, and a couple years uh, into it, everyone goes to, down to California to Disneyland, and of course, we as a family were like, man, let's, we'd love to take our family to Disneyland. Well, coming off the mission field, we had no money. I was a pastor uh, at another church in the area, Cornerstone, uh, didn't have a lot of money, so we decided we're going to save up our money, and in a couple years, we're going to take a road trip down to Disneyland with our family. So we had four kids, super young. Uh, and every month we had, you know, in Quicken, we had a little line item, Disneyland, and we put money there. And it actually impacted our family because as we went to the stores or go out to grocery, well, we want to go to Disneyland, so, so we're going to hold that money uh, aside. Well, I don't know about you, when you go on vacation, when we're ready and all packed up, uh, Amy does not like to eat uh, before we leave because then it messes up the kitchen and you have to clean all that up again. So we got packed up, ready to go to Disneyland. We had our tickets, our map that we, yeah, I think we even printed out at that time, like how we're going to get there. We were all ready to go and out the door we went. So we just left and we're like, we'll just get lunch on the road. We got out the door with four kids in the car. Uh, the kids were, I think, like six, five, four, and two or something, like pretty, maybe a year or two older than that, somewhere right around there. Uh, and we get out the door, going to drive to L.A. with four kids. We're telling them, we're going to Disneyland. Well, well, I think two of those four, or maybe three of those four were like, I have no idea what Disneyland is, but I'm excited to go there. Well, we get in the car. We get, make it all the way to Damascus. There's a Dairy Queen in Damascus. I don't know if you've driven by it. We pull into that Dairy Queen, and one of our kids asks us, is this Disneyland? And we thought, this is going to be a long trip. I said, no, this isn't Disneyland. Well, we walk inside, and we're on vacation mode. So we've saved for two years for this. So we go into the Dairy Queen, and we're like, get anything you want. And our kids, they don't hear that very often. Get anything you want. And they're like, anything we want? Are you sure this isn't Disneyland? Ice cream? Yes, get anything you want. This is amazing. This is way better than normal life at home. We can get anything we want. Ice cream or whatever. Well, we began to 
explain to them, uh, no, this is not Disneyland. This is just a, a pit stop on the way. I kept saying Disneyland, but our kids had no concept of what Disneyland even was, what it was like. Well, Dairy Queen can be a lot like this life. Uh, many people think this is it. This is all we got. So get as much as you can, as, as whatever you can. Uh, just make it the best here because there's nothing after this. Uh, so many people think that Dairy Queen is Disneyland, and it's not. You don't, need no, you don't need a plan. You don't need to alter your life. You just get what you can, and that's, and that's it. Well, after we ate and kids got ice cream and all that stuff, we got on back on the road again because uh, Disneyland is not Damascus, just in case you weren't wondering. It's not there. So we kept on going and made the trip all the way down to Ashland, which is right on the border of California. Well, we get to Ashland, and we, we reserved a room in this little private hotel there, right in downtown pretty much, uh, cute little hotel. We were like the only ones in this hotel. And so the lady, really nice, mom and pop owned, uh, up to upgrades our room. We get the suite. We get in there, and it's like, oh, it's just great. The kids are like, this is amazing. There's a pool in this place, and no one else is in this hotel. So we get the pool all to ourselves. We get most of the hotel all to ourselves. I go downtown, get this wood fire, like brickstone pizza. We go back to the hotel room. We're like eating on the bed. Uh, we have all these beds on. There's there's the Disney Channel is on, and we're eating pizza on the bed, all together as a family, watching Disneyland, and guess what one of our kids said? Is this Disneyland? Because this is awesome. I mean, Dad doesn't have to go to work. Mom's not cleaning up. Like, we're eating in bed. We're watching Disneyland. This is awesome. We've got a pool all to ourselves. This is incredible. But that was not Disneyland. Ashland is a lot like life after death. It's a place of rest and rejuvenation, a healing, comfort, God's presence, but it's actually not the final destination. In many ways, being in Ashland was a lot better than being at home or going to school or work. But yet there was still something even greater in store for us. Well, um, we woke up... Um, the next morning and packed and headed out. Now, if we would have told our kids, yeah, that's Disneyland, uh, I'm sure our older ones would have been like, we saved up two years for this a hotel in Ashland. There's not even any like Mickey ears around here. And in fact, there's all these like Romeo and Juliet's around. Like if you know Ashland, they're really famous for Romeo and Juliet. Like this is what we, like, and you have maps for California? But we're not even in California. We're in Oregon. I don't, I don't understand why we changed our lives so much if that's, if that's what it is. But that wasn't it. So from Ashland, we got up, we packed, and we drove still further. So from Ashland to L.A. is a long drive. We actually stopped in between. But when we finally got to L.A., got to our hotel, and the next morning got up and went to Disneyland, and our kids, who had no idea or experience of what is Disneyland like, we got to the front gates and we said, this is Disneyland. And they said, oh. And from there, we entered through the gates into this magical kingdom to explore for the next couple days. Now, this illustration actually breaks down in several places, uh, just like the rides at Disneyland do. Uh, 
maybe not the most magical place on earth when it's 100 degrees and you're standing in line for hours. Uh, but you get the idea, right? Uh, our kids had no concept of what Disneyland was like. And as they experience different things along the way, they're like, is this it? Is, is, is this Disneyland? Is this what we uh, are giving our, our lives for the next couple days and, and weeks for? Well, many Christians, I think, they confuse the final destination with the intermediary most times. They confuse with uh, life after death uh, for life after life after death. They confuse Ashland with, with Disneyland. They're, they're two different uh, places. Now, over the last two weeks, we've considered, just in brief, the place of our eternal home. And I'm talking about life after life after death, the Disneyland. Uh, now, we've talked about uh, where it's at, what it's like. We've talked about heaven coming to earth, God's dwelling place being with, with man. Uh, we've talked about what that does for us and who we are. Now, today I want to talk about the three things we're going to do uh, in our eternal state, in, in that eternal home, in Disneyland, if you, if you will. See, John, in the passage we just read, he moves from describing the bride as a city to all of a sudden describing it as a garden. It's like he was talking about a city, and then just the next verse later, he starts talking about a, a garden, which actually brings us back to the very beginning of the story of God. He says, right there in the city, going down the middle of the street, there, there is this river going down the middle of the street so that even if you're walking in the city, you're walking in a river and being cleansed and purified even as you're going. Now in that first picture, we have two trees in the middle of the garden, and now we have a, a river in the middle and, and one tree, the tree of life growing on both sides of the river, right in the middle of the garden. This tree, uh, it continually bears fruit, fruit all the time. And what fruit comes from a life tree? Life. It's the same as what comes from an apple tree, an apple. What comes from the tree of life is life. And so people continually get life and fulfillment there. And it even says the leaves of the tree are for the healings of the nations. Well, in the very first picture, the leaves of a tree in the garden were to cover the shame and nakedness of Adam and Eve and their sin. And now the, the leaves are, are used for the healings of the nations. And I think, uh, if, I think it's just a beautiful image, the healing of the nation. What does that even look like? I think some of it is uh, these different ethnicities and cultures and groups coming together and appreciating and enjoying each other for the first time. Uh, Palestinians and Jews coming together and seeing each other as brothers and sisters and for the good that they have for each other. Americans and North Koreans. Uh, each nation, like, bringing together their best culture, uh, their beauty, their poetry, their art, their food. It's like this international food thing where you get to taste the very best of everyone's food and culture and who they are. And, and there's this brotherhood that's developed there, like, like nations coming together like neighbors who share butter or milk with each other. Each one of them is something unique and cultural that you don't have in your culture that you get from someone else. And just this beautiful kaleidoscope. The, the leaves of the tree of life are bringing all these nations together in such beauty and joy. It tells us that the curse is no longer there. In, in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned, there was a curse on the land, but that curse has been now lifted. There's no more struggle between people and God 
There's no more struggle between people and people and man and woman. Uh, and, and right there in the middle of the garden uh, where the tree is and the river and is, is a throne. It's a, a throne for the Lord and also Jesus. Well, even if we begin to understand the image and the picture of this, our eternal home, uh, that God is there and what that means for us, still the question remains, what are we going to do there? Like, okay, we're there. Even if we can comprehend what that is, what are we going to do? And you might be thinking, um, if all I do is go there and play some harp, I'm not really interested in going. Or if, if all we're going to do is like come to one big, long church service, uh, I don't know if I'm exactly interested in, in doing that. But that's not what it is. That's not the image of the final destination that John will give us through the revelation of Jesus as well. John will help us to see a little bit better of what we're going to do there. So I want to point out three things, and there's at least three things in this text that says what we're going to do there, and I want to flesh those out just a little bit. Three things of what we're going to do in our eternal home, in life after life after death. The first thing we're going to do, it says we will, we're going to worship. We're going to worship. In verse 3, it says, and his servants will worship him. Now, when you hear worship, my guess is you probably think of a very religious term. Uh, you think of we come to a worship service, we sing a few worship songs, and so that's what we're going to do in heaven. We're going to sit around, and we're going to just sing some songs. Well, uh, Caleb will tell you this, and I'll tell you this. Uh, worship can be singing, but is not only singing. Singing can be worship, but it's not always worship. Uh, it, it's not something actually that you have to just do. It's a response. Let me give you a definition of worship. Worship is the response, the emotions, the feelings, the service, the uh, that comes out from some response of something or person or idea or something that happens. Worship is a response that happens, not something you have to do. Uh, let me tell you a time uh, I worshipped. Uh, when Hannah was younger, uh, she'd get these infections in her uh, kidneys. Uh, this weird bacteria that was resilient to normal antibiotics. And, and so for seasons, like it felt like an eternity, we were in the hospital. A lot of you remember us doing that. We, I mean, weeks up at Randall's hospital uh, to the point where we had infectious disease doctors go, look, we're putting her on this super strong antibiotic that they used in like the 70s, but don't do anymore because that's finally battling it. And we're hoping this does it, but if it doesn't, here's the path that's going to happen. And we were like, as young, like, what? What do you even, even think? For weeks we would do that. Amy would be in the hospital or be at home, and I would be at the hospital, split family, worrying, just wondering what, what's going to happen. Well, one of these times, uh, I happened to be at the tail end of it when they said, hey, the antibiotics worked, you can take Hannah home. And I was in the hospital with her. So I, I helped pack Hannah uh, and told this little three-year-old, hey, we're going home, we get to go home. She's like, oh, great, we're going home. Okay, we're doing our thing. Uh, we are driving down the interstate, and I don't think it quite clicked in the three-year-old's mind that we're heading home until we got off the exit in Troutdale. And I still remember this. Because in the back seat, Hannah's like, this is the way home, Daddy. We're going home. Dad, we're actually going home. 
And in that moment, I, I lost, I mean, I don't cry a lot, but in that moment, I was like, yeah, that's right, Hannah. The, the joy and the hope of a three-year-old who had been stuck with needles, given lots of different things, realizing that I'm going home. It was in that moment I didn't have to go, and now we're going to turn to a time of transition to, to worship. And would you get out your hymn book and sing? It, it was something that came over, and just my heart was, oh, I'm not, I didn't sing, but my heart was singing. Oh, Lord, thank you for home. Thank you for making us for home. Thank you for bringing my daughter home. Lord, this is worship. Do you get it? Do you feel it? That's worship. It, it's a response to something. I didn't have to tell Hannah, okay, now it's time to worship. She said, no, my heart was drawn towards home. And she began to worship in that moment, in that little three-year-old way. We're going home. This is awesome. I think in the, in the same way, as we go to our eternal home, our hearts will just be filled up with that. We're going home. Lord, you're making everything right again. You, you, it's, we see worship all the time, especially in the Olympics in these last couple weeks. We see worship all the time as people are cheering from home and jumping up off the couch. They're worshiping. They're responding to something that's like, yes, victory, redemption. You worked so hard. You're here. Great. We see it in sports teams all the time. Your favorite sports team, uh, you worship in those times when, oh, everything's going right. That's worship. You can't help it. But worship doesn't have to be like loud and jumping off the couch. It can be. It can also be a worshipful time when it's just quiet, moment by yourself, when you're stopping on the way home because the sunset over Mount Hood is absolutely amazing. And you just have to stop and you worship, wow, Lord, this is absolutely beautiful. It, it's, worship is simply responding to the goodness that showered over us. Now, in that eternal home, in that life after life after death, we're going to experience God making all these wrongs right, redeeming things, fulfilling our, our hearts, bringing justice, healing the nations, allowing all of us to fully experience without sin or guilt or shame the goodness of God. And in that moment, we are going to be worshiping creatures. It's that feeling of coming home after weeks in a hospital. It's the feeling of winning the gold only seconds left. In that new heavens and new earth and our life after life after death, we will worship the Lord. Now, if that sounds boring to you, I don't think you quite have the picture of the new heavens and the new earth, our eternal home, and what worship is. It's a response. You don't even have to do it. Your heart just draws you to do it. Well, we're going to worship there. The next thing we see we're going to worship. And the next thing is uh, we will see him face to face. In verse 4 it says, And they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. You know, I think there's times, especially on this earth, that we all struggle like, where do I fit in? Where, where do I belong? Who should I sit next to? You might have experienced that this morning. You might experience that this weekend. I'm not quite sure where I, where I belong here. We experience it in, in schools, uh, at workplaces, even in our, our own homes. Well, this eternal home of ours, as we see Jesus' face, as he has his name on our heads, it's saying, you belong right here. You belong to me. I know you. It, it, now, that stamp on our foreheads is not like a tattoo. 
or, or some stamp he goes along. It's saying that you belong to me. So no matter where you go, I'm right there and you belong with me. It's like a, a friendship that you've had where, where you have, get together and you don't even have to say anything and you know what the other one's feeling. Yep, I've been there. It, it's, it's the friend who, who knows when to say something or knows what to do to make you laugh. It's the friends that, you know, you don't, you, you don't maybe see them for days or weeks or months, or maybe even years, and yet when you get together again, it's like, yep, old times. Like not a day has passed. It's the feeling that you always know that someone is there that's going to save you a seat at the party. I know I always have someone to be with. It's a little bit what Anna was talking about in all those homes she's been to. She knew the Lord was right there. See, the new heaven and the new earth, this eternal home, is going to be our home, the place where we finally feel like we totally belong because of Jesus. You'll belong more there than anywhere else you've ever been because Jesus is there and he's saving you a seat right next to him, calling your name. You belong to him. See, we're going to worship there. We're going to see him face to face. There's going to be this relational depth of experiencing things together. And the last thing we see is that we will reign. We will reign. Uh, the story of the Bible really ends with this verse 5. Next week, we're going to look at uh, the timing of it all. And it's not what you probably think, but uh, the timing of all of this. But the end of the, end of the Bible really, really ends with this verse in verse 5. And they will reign forever and ever. They will reign forever and ever. Now in America, we don't, the word reign, uh, we get the idea, but if you, we lived in a country that had kings, we'd really get it. Because this word reign is connected to a king or royalty or a queen, someone that's ruling over uh, a nation to, to reign. In fact, both the Greek and the Hebrew words for reign actually take the noun for king and turn it into a verb. Uh, so reign is actually doing king things or doing queen things like uh, kinging i'm kinging over you i'm reigning over you he says you're going to be kinging it or queening it you're going to be ruling and reigning uh, in this new heavens and new earth so what is what exactly are we going to be reigning over now this is a little bit of uh, imagination because it doesn't exactly say, but I think if you look to the beginning of the story and how the story unfolds, uh, I think God's plan is that you reign over his creation. Uh, the garden, the animals, the, the angels, everything in God's good earth. And then I think we often think of the new heavens and the new earth as a very static place where there's nothing new. But I think the very idea that we're going to be reigning over uh, even talks about a parable. Someone's going to be in charge of five cities, someone in charge of ten cities. There's going to be this work that's still going to be done. In the Garden of Eden, God had given Adam and Eve everything they needed for life, but yet he still gave them this work to watch over the animals, to, to take God's good creation and, and go and fill the earth. There's, there's things out there that you need to be, explore and, and, and control and bring the goodness out of them. There was creative work to do in maintaining and exploring. Now, if we will reign on the new heavens and the new earth, I think that means that there's going to be work to be done. Uh, we often think of work with the thorns and thistles and the ground and the hard things, but there was actually work before the curse came. Work is a 
good thing. And I think there's going to be work that needs to be done. There's a fulfilling, a satisfactory, creative work that lies ahead for us. We're not going to be just sitting around. I, I think the idea that God has is there's going to be this place of good, uh, goodness and holiness in it. And you as a kingdom of priests are going to explore and reign and bring that goodness to the rest of the world. The world God created. And God says, go, make more of this good world. Bring forth more good. Explore, create music. There's another song to write. Invent, organize, create, improve, manage. It's king language. It's reigning. So what will we be doing on the new heavens and new earth? Here's what I imagine reigning is going to be like. Going into the city in God's presence to enjoy and be completely satisfied, to be over, overfilled with this worship and then from there to go out of the gates into this world that's being discovered deeper and richer and fuller than we can ever imagine so that we'll respond in writing songs about it. We'll discovering new foods and tastes, games to play, trips to make, fish to catch, hikes to go to the top of a mountain and see the clouds underneath, the absolute beauty of the Lord. So I think if you think of life after life after death, or our eternal homes, if you think it's boring, I don't think you actually get it. I think you're thinking Ashland or Dairy Queen. The Bible's picture of our eternal home and what we're going to be do there is full and rich of this relationship with Jesus as he redeems and calls us forward to worship and to reign and to be in deep relationship with him. He's given his lives to us so that we can receive this gift of eternal life. Now it begins, the very beginning of the Bible begins this way. In the beginning. And ends with verse 5. And they will reign forever and ever. The story of God. We know how it begins and we know how it ends. The question we have is with the messy middle. And that's where we're at. God is writing this story on our hearts, on the hearts of men and women all over the world, and he's actually inviting you to join the story, to lead lives of worship and response to a loving God, to know and be known by the Lord through this like worshiping community of people in deep relationship with each other and with the Lord, through his word and prayer, and to reign, to bring forth God's goodness to fulfill Fulfill the earth with God's goodness. The story has begun, and we see how it's going to end. The question I have for you is, what part are you going to play? Will you be a worshiper of God? Or in the messy middle, will you give your hearts to worship something else? Something that might feel good in the moment, but will never truly satisfy. The call at the end, we'll see next week as well is to come, come, come to the Lord, begin to worship, begin to reign with him, begin to experience the goodness that God has here in the messy middle because we know how it will end. Next week we'll see the timing of it all. So let me pray uh, this week. There is a, there's a bit of eschatology that uh, several people have pointed out that I think it's, it's, it's right and true. Uh, eschatology is an invitation to dream and imagine and be creative and to think, what is it going to be like? 
He doesn't give us everything, but I think even that, even that invitation to come and dream is a God-given creative thing of like, boy, with the Lord, we have no idea how great uh, he has in store for those who love him. So I think that's the call this morning, to, to engage your minds, to engage your creativity, but always directed back to the Lord and grounded in his word. Not go too far. Uh, but not stop too short either. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the moments even here in this life that we taste and experience for just small ways. Lord, what's truly going to be redeemed and fulfilled and completely satisfying in the new heavens and the new earth. And Lord, would we be people that pray just like Jesus taught us to pray, that your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, that your will would be done, that we would be worshipers of you uh, here and now so that people could see and taste your kingdom come, the things that you can do in our lives. Would we be a a worshiping community of Jesus followers, uh, this outpost and this, um, this place where your will is done that people could see and be drawn into? And Lord, if there's somebody here this morning that um, doesn't know you, I pray that they wouldn't leave here today without stopping someone they came with or know and asking more questions about, uh, about how, how do I enter into that kingdom? How do I accept the Lord? How do I live for him? And then we could journey this life uh, together following after you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this message from Hollyview Church. We invite you to join us in person for our worship service every Sunday morning at 1030. You can find us on Southeast 257th Avenue, just off of Highway 212 between Boring and Damascus, Oregon. Or find us online at hollyviewchurch.com. Together, we are being shaped by the gospel, rooted in God's word, to share God's grace and truth. Again, whether online or in person, Thank you for joining us here at Hollyview Church.